beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him, and apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Good Heavens is a podcast that takes a deep look into the cosmos, revealing God's wondrous power and design. Here are your hosts, Wayne Spencer and Daniel Ray. Former theoretical cosmologist turned scientist journalist Dr. Paul Parsons in his 2018 book, The Beginning and the End of Everything from the Big Bang to the End of the Universe, tells us that, quote, one day, nearly 14 billion years ago, something remarkable happened. Our universe was born. The matter and energy making up everything that you can see around you in the world today, this book, the air you breathe, the biological material in your body, the light from the sun and the distant stars, everything, were all born out of that one single instant of creation." End quote. Parson goes on to observe, quote, "...looking up at the night sky on a clear evening, you might wonder where it all came from, how all the matter in the universe organized itself into galaxies full of stars, end quote. Parson retells the modern idea of the Big Bang, which he says, quote, started as a hot, dense fireball, a twisted knot of matter, energy, space, and time. How and why it appeared when it did is anyone's guess, end quote. While there are many speculative models in secular science about what may have preceded our universe's origin, the idea of something coming before our universe, some say, is nonsensical, since time didn't begin until our universe came into being. Yet despite the apparent contrary nature of the idea of something existing before the Big Bang, Cosmologists are nevertheless on a quest of making models about untestable, invisible cosmogonic entities which may have given birth to our universe. Interestingly enough, the birth of stars is as much a mystery today for secular science as is the birth of our universe. No astronomer or cosmologist or physicist has ever observed universes coming into being, nor have they observed stars coming into being. What science does give us are models of how they think the universe may have come to be or how stars are formed. But nothing in these cosmic birth narratives has really ever been observed in a telescope. So is it just as Dr. Parsons has said? Is it really anyone's guess how our universe came to be? 
Is it anyone's guess about how the universe was so gloriously arranged? It has been said that physicists are on the hunt for the ultimate one-inch equation that will unify and explain all the known laws of the universe. It may very well be that one day, several centuries from now, a brilliant physicist with a tussled head of gray hair will crunch the final numbers on a chalkboard in a university classroom somewhere and shout, Aha! But even if that were to happen, it's likely that physicists wouldn't stop asking questions, such as, well, why this equation at all? Or, why is it that we can even understand the physical nature of the cosmos with mathematics in the first place? And some physicists would likely begin the hunt for an equation behind the equation. To oversimplify or demean the disciplines of physics, astronomy, and cosmology by any means, but we here at Good Heavens might suggest that the one-inch equation, were it ever to be found, would be best explained by a name. A single name. A little smaller than an inch in length. And that name is Yahweh. Y-H-W-H. A name no one is entirely sure how to pronounce. It is Hebrew for, I am who I am. It is the name uttered to Moses at the burning bush in the Sinai wilderness. It is God's personal revelation of himself to man. He is the one who made the heavens and the earth. He is the one who created the stars, who numbers them and calls them all by name. He is the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. The Creator Yahweh Himself became flesh and dwelt among us, revealing Himself to us as a man for all mankind. Yahweh is Christ Jesus the Lord, God enfleshed, God simultaneously veiled and revealed to us in the person of His Son. He has the name above all names, the name to which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, Jesus is Lord. Isaiah prophesied of Jesus' coming as God's servant, a man of sorrows. Jesus refers to himself in Revelation 22.16 as the bright and morning star. Jesus is the seed of Abraham, the Messiah, the creator of the sun, moon, and stars, the savior of the world. He comforts us in our mourning. His joy is our strength. He is the chief cornerstone, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. All creation, all of heaven and earth, are filled with his glory. What he has created serves to remind us of his invisible attributes, his love, his faithfulness, his mercy, his kindness, his goodness, his power, his wrath, his righteousness, and his holiness. On the next two episodes of Good Heavens, Wayne and I won't be discussing the beginning of the universe or the origins of stars. We've covered those in previous episodes and may revisit them in the future. But rather, we will be discussing the beauty, wonder, and some of the science of supernovae, stars that die. Observing supernovae is a relatively rare experience, as they are generally unpredictable, 
despite what we know about them. They often catch astronomers by surprise. But what a tremendously delightful surprise it is. For everything scientists know about them, there is much that remains unknown. But one thing is certain. Supernovae remind us of the glory of God. So come along with Wayne and me as we explore the wonders of God's fireworks right here on Good Heavens. As I'm reading a real technical book, I, I ran across uh, uh, Jim Kaler. I have this book, uh, The Encyclopedia of Stars. And Kaler's pretty detailed. I mean, he can write pretty simply, but uh, the truth of the matter is there's a lot of complexity with supernovae. And, uh, you know, at some points he's even like, well, we don't really know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, in all the course of the history of understanding supernovae, we see it after they happen. We don't see it as they happen, and not uh, very often. No, no, we don't. We don't catch it in the act. And of course, nobody's. You can't get close enough to an exploding star. Yeah, <laughs> except for uh, going except on. for 1987A, we saw that one in the act. Yeah, Ian Shelton on February 24th, 1987, uh, was taking images. He was taking pictures of the large Magell- uh, large Magellanic cloud. There's another word I can't pronounce. Magellanic. Yeah. Cloud uh, at Las Com- <laughs> at the Las Campanas Observatory, uh-huh. and he caught the uh, the kaboom. Uh, Robert McNaught was the Australian amateur astronomer who caught the star brightening beforehand, um, but then that was uh, outside of our galaxy. And uh, yeah. the, the last we'll talk about the last two supernovae, uh, of course, is. Uh, Kepler and Bras. So, and they uh, detected uh, neutrinos before the actual super 1987A explosion by several hours. That's what that mm-hmm. follows the theory that neutrinos would be given off as it's being compressed, and then as it explodes, then we see the brightness. So the neutrinos is kind of a sign that the uh, the nuclei are being crushed. <laughs> the atoms yeah, are being right. crushed. <laughs> right. So it's like uh, grapes. When you crush grapes, you get the juice. When you crush uh, the atoms, you get neutrinos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of like a, a wine press of, of the heavens. <laughs> That's the way to look at it. <laughs> yeah. You you crush, the, you crush an atom and you get neutrino juice yes. or whatever. Neutrino, neutrino wine or whatever. Yes. But, uh, and sometimes other yeah. things come out too, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, I, so we'll. Uh, there's a lot to talk about today. I mean, it's a ton. There's a ton of stuff, Wayne. We are. Uh, yeah, you going know, to have an explosive episode of Good Heavens that, today. That's right, and Dan. Uh, physicists have always been fascinated with things that blow up. Yeah, you know, and, and and I'm I'm like that. I like explosions. <laughs> I don't want to make explosions to hurt anybody. Okay, but right, I just right. want to watch them and uh, yeah. study what happens. 
Yeah, I used to watch Mythbusters, uh, especially when they blew things up. Yes, I did too. <laughs> I like that. There's something eminently satisfying with watching something explode. Not, it just it's just really cool. I mean, Fourth of July, of course, fireworks are really cool. Um, out of my neighborhood on the Fourth of July, people light fireworks, and you can hear kabooms all over the place. But uh, nothing quite like a spectacular professional fireworks show. Uh, right, th- those explosions and things, but. Uh, you know the thing about so we're going to be talking about uh, things that explode in the sky. Uh, thankfully, they're far away from us, but uh, we're going to be talking about supernovae, and it brings to mind a little uh, edit uh, outtake from Star Wars. You remember Star Wars in 1977? You can go on YouTube and find uh, bloopers from Star Wars. It's pretty fun. And one of the bloopers from Star Wars that I, I don't know why I remember this, but uh, Mark Hamill playing Luke Skywalker, he's flying his X-Wing fighter towards, uh, he's going to fire his photon torpedoes into the Death Star, right? And then he's going to fly away. Um, but there's an outtake where uh, Mark Hamill is pronounced supernova. And he says, is, is it is it supernovae or supernova? And uh, so it's just a cute little outtake there. But that's the plural of supernova is not supernovas. It's supernovae. Supernovae, I think, is the right way to do it. So when we say yes. supernovae, that's many stars exploding. When we say supernova, that's a singular star. But uh, as one astronomer put it, uh, Jim Kaler, in his uh, book I was reading for our podcast, uh, The Cambridge Encyclopedia of Stars, James B. Kaler, a very extensive uh, compendium of anything that you want to know about stars. And uh, Jim says, you know, astronomers, I think it's Jim, it may be, I have another book I was reading and I get them confused, Uh, Welcome to the Universe by Neil deGrasse Tyson, Michael Strauss, and uh, J. Richard Gott. One of those authors had said that uh, the word super (laughs) is overused in astronomy. Yes, yes. (laughs) Super, Super hyper, enormous, large. You run out of adjectives when you're talking about the universe. yes. (laughs) <laughs> so, uh, Wayne, you did some extensive research, uh, and, and you're, you're going to have a nice blog article out um, soon on your website that we'll talk about yes. uh, today. I learned a lot in getting ready for this. There's a lot more kinds of uh, explosions and supernova from stars than I ever even imagined. I didn't know about all of it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just to, we'll, we'll get into all that um, and um, discuss the fascinating things that you, you were sharing with me that, you know, I didn't know either. My, my goodness. Um, but let's talk briefly about, uh, let's lay, let's lay the groundwork for basically in, in very simple terms, a supernovae. Novae just means new. And it was a word, I think, was it Tico Bra that came up with the uh, word Nova? Well, he came up with stellar Nova. Or I guess this comes from the Latin, Stellar Novae. Uh, he saw one of these in 1572, and nobody expected this because that going way back then, people still were influenced by the thinking of Aristotle. And the old idea was that outside of the moon, everything in the heavens stays the same it's always it's it's always perfect so it never right. changed but right. uh, god never got that note dan somehow <laughs> okay so uh <laughs> um he saw this and he 
to him, it looked like a star that got much, much brighter than it was. And that was, or to, it would look like a new star. If you didn't know it was there, it might be too faint normally, but then when this happens, it becomes very bright. And sometimes they can be bright enough to even be seen in the sky in a bright, sunny day. Mm. And, Mm. and, um, so the thought was that it was, uh, if it was outside the moon, it would never change. So it couldn't be that far out. So it couldn't be that far away. So Tycho Brahe tried to figure out the distance to, to this star with parallax and he couldn't measure the the angles. It was so far he couldn't measure. So he knew that he could figure out the distance to the moon. So it had to be farther away than the moon. So he, he was correct in his logic that it had to be farther, farther out there. And yet he saw this change in the heavens. The heavens weren't supposed to change. It's not supposed to do this, you know, in their, in their concept from, the 1500s right right so he he really made a very important observation there that really the heavens do change yeah and it's uh interesting how this discovery came along the heels of the protestant reformation and then the catholic counter-reformation where uh, the the institution and traditions of the church quote-unquote never changed or never supposed to change but here comes martin luther and says, no, 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 I want to talk about 95 things. Of course, that was uh, several decades before Tycho's discovery. Um, but then you had the Protestant Reformation where the church uh, throughout Europe underwent tremendous change and upheaval. And you outline that very well in our chapter in the story of the cosmos. So not only was people's idea of, of God and, and of church changing, um, but now, are, are you kidding me? The heavens change too? This is is too much for me to take. Uh, This is too much. But yeah, outside the lunar realm, uh, this is the idea of the medieval idea of of the heavens that above the lunar realm, anything below the lunar realm, you know, it's it's interesting too, Wayne, because a lot of people think that early medieval cosmology, that we had the earth at the center of the universe, which was true in the sense of their cosmology, but it wasn't a throne. It wasn't a, they didn't look at it as an exalted place. They looked at it as the dump of the cosmos. Everything (laughs) fell to earth. So we got all the detritus and everything, uh, the refuse and the the, the center idea, the idea of the center of the the universe, the earth being the center of the universe in medieval cosmology was not, not flattering. Um, Mm. We were, you know, in in the biblical terms that this place is, uh, it's wonderful, but it's also filled with suffering and filth. And, you know, if you read stories about daily medieval life, you can understand. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like the idea of Earth gets dumped on. Yeah, right. So so uh, this idea that there's something changing in the universe. Now, this appeared in the in the constellation of Cassiopeia, which you can see if you're in the Northern Hemisphere. You can see this year-round. It is a circumpolar constellation. It looks like, if, if, you, if you remember your stargazing from when you were a kid or if you are a stargazer, um, this is the W-looking thing, or M when it's upside down. Right. This is this is the W constellation that goes around Polaris, the North Pole, and so you can still see the remnant uh, of 1572 with a telescope. You can still see the leftover uh, explosion. Yeah, and Dan, there's a there's a quote from Tycho Brahe I'd like to read. Yeah. This was what he said 
when he discovered this uh, uh, new star, as he called it, or Stella, no- Stella Nova, he said, I doubted no longer. In truth, it was the greatest wonder that has ever shown itself in the whole of nature since the beginning of the world, or in any case as great as uh, when the sun was stopped by Joshua's prayers. Wow, that's pretty cool. <laughs> so he that's that's how extraordinary he thought this was. Do you that have that star. quote in our story of the cosmos? Did you use yes, that? it's yeah, in there. I, I thought you did. I thought you yeah. did. Yeah. So that's a great chapter if you check it out. If you haven't read our book, the Story of the Cosmos, you can check it out at thestoryofthecosmos.com. Uh, a little commercial plug there. Pick it up today. It's only like five dollars on Amazon right now, I think. But uh, uh, I think anyway, on the Christian Book Distributors, uh, ChristianBook.com, you can get it cheap. They actually, I just checked the other day, Wayne, Christian Book Distributors only has the Kindle now. Uh, there's no, the paperback is not available in oh, really? their, in their Yeah, they have ebooks, and I got it that way. It's a yeah. good way to get it. Yeah. To the word Nova, that just means new, uh, Latin. So Stella Nova, which means new star, um, is from where we get the, the idea of supernova, that this, a superstar, uh, <laughs> literally, <laughs> sounds familiar, you know, like superstars in Hollywood. Um, but you think of you think of stars, Wayne, and let's get uh, before we get too scientific with this. Let's get a little biblical with it. Yeah, um, we have done one of our most popular episodes on Good Heavens is stars in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't. I had no idea that that one was going to top the charts when we did it. Um, a fun episode. Check it out. I'll put it in the links uh, in our notes description. But let's talk a little bit about stars and and relate this topic as we always try to do uh, to the Bible. Wayne, how, where, why can we? Are there any mentions of or any hints of uh, exploding stars in the Bible? What can we What can we say biblically it, about? It doesn't these? actually describe something like a star blowing up, but in in Psalm one forty seven, there's something that kind of relates to this. Yeah, uh, Psalm one forty seven, verse four, and. Uh, I like the NIV version. It says, he determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. Mm. So, I, you know, the Bible emphasizes God's sovereignty, that he is in control of events. And yeah. you know, nothing happens in this universe that he's not aware of and in control of. Right, right. And I think, um, you know, you think about it, Tycho's uh, Stella Nova of 1572, kind of God's way of saying, look, I am not bound by Aristotle. Right. <laughs> I am not, I am not uh, limited because for the longest time through the medieval era, um, the church had this concept of the Aristotelian cosmology, where Aristotle was the chief scientist uh, that was cited and, and utilized by theologians and philosophers for centuries. His influence is just incalculable, all the way through uh, Thomas Aquinas, who took Aristotle's ideas and uh, merged them with his Christian thinking. But uh, suddenly the supernova comes along above the realm of the, the moon, and suddenly as if God is gently saying to us, no, 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 people, you got it all wrong, you know. Um, and that began, uh, you know, Kepler 
and Bra's exploration of, of the cosmos that uh, forever changed our perception of, of where we are in the universe, you know. So uh, your verse there, I know we were chatting before we turned the mics on, your verse there uh, reminded me, uh, one of your favorite verses, one of my favorite verses, and I know we'll talk about this later, you put this in your paper. Well, you mentioned Isaiah 40 in uh, your paper. Yeah, so in my article, I, I, liked to, I decided to finish it with, some quoted selections out of Isaiah 40. And yeah, yeah. There's a verse there in Isaiah 40 that's similar to Psalm 147. It is. That we just read. It is. Um, my favorite, it says, I'll, I'll back up to verse 25. God is asking through the prophet, to whom then will you liken me that I would be his equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these stars. The one who leads forth their host by number, he calls them all by name. Because of the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. And then it goes on to say in verse 27, Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice due me escapes the notice of my God? Did you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary we're tired. His understanding is inscrutable. And then it goes on to a lot of other people love to quote the, the following verses about uh, God giving us strength. And then finally concluding Isaiah forty thirty one with those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired and they will walk and not become weary. But in terms of the context of what we're talking about, Wayne, it's interesting. We talked about um, in Isaiah forty twenty six about the stars, not one of them is missing. So here we are talking about supernovas, stars that blow up and and die. Um, what? How can we contrast this? And I came up. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. How, wait, don't don't stars go missing? What does this mean? I like to look at this as our perspective versus God's perspective. Yes. So yes. like when uh, supernova nineteen eighty seven A happened. We knew what it was, and then people were asking, "What? what is the star that just blew up here? And it took some years for scientists to figure out what star it was, uh, but they eventually figured it out. So to us, there was a star missing, but to God, it was all planned anyway. It was, I mean, it was uh, no surprise to God, and the star went through its life and ended its life just like it was supposed to. Right, right. So it and, wasn't missing, really. It just was God's purpose. Yeah, God. It, it when a star dies, it it it's not doesn't take God by surprise, and He doesn't wake up one morning and say, "Hey, where did that star go?" <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and I this reminds me of a passage in Matthew where Jesus is talking about uh, uh, discipleship, and he says to to his disciples, he says, "Are not two sparrows sold for a cent?" And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. And I think that is similar, the similar idea to what's being expressed in Isaiah and, and, and with the stars, that whether it's a star or a sparrow or one of us, um, that Jesus knows who we are down to the numbers of the hairs of our head. And so we don't go missing. Uh, God, God is not, uh, 
wondering where we are. You know, when he asks Adam, where are you? It's not because God doesn't know. (laughs) (laughs) It's for Adam's perspective. You know, we talk about perspectives. It's for Adam's perspectives, not God's ignorance. So, and it's interesting too, you know, in Genesis 15, five, the Lord takes Abram outside and tells him, asks him, count the stars if you're able. And then he says, your descendants will be like these. You know, as numerous as the stars in the sky, your descendants will be like these. And there's several metaphors in Scripture, Wayne, where we are likened to stars. I think Isaiah forty twenty six is is the same thing. God is making this analogy that the sons of Israel, the sons of Jacob, the descendants of Abraham, are like the stars in the sky. And he's using the stars in the sky as an analogy to talk to us about the fact that God knows our names. God has our hairs of our head numbered. God cares for the birds, God cares for the stars, and he has names for all the stars, he's going to take exceptionally more detailed and loving care of us. And so we can never say, or should never say, God has forgotten us, uh, you know, that our way is hidden from us. So from life to death, God is is with us, you know, and uh, I think that's where the, the whole missing thing, not one of them is missing. So even supernovae, uh, don't, stars don't disappear, um, uh, under God's watchful eye, He knows exactly their life cycle. So um, that's right. Just some biblical importance to what we're talking about, and uh, I just find it fascinating that you know um, I can name most of the brightest stars in the sky during any of the, the the seasons. I can go out when the stars come in, and I'm like, "There's that one. There's that one. There's that one." But there's so many stars, I can't even imagine how God has named all the stars and names you know known only to Him. So I think that's that's fascinating and wonderful, and it just shows you how detailed and careful God is about about his creation and how he participates in creation with us in the person of his son, and and that all creation speaks of his glory. Um, I think that's, that's wonderful. So as we talk about the supernova, we can think of uh, how, how the, the death of a star uh, attests to the glory of God, because I think um, one of my favorite verses about one of Jesus's names, he calls himself in Revelation twenty two sixteen the bright and morning star. And so it was the death, his death, that that uh, led to the salvation of, of the world. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So the bright and morning star dies on a cross. And what happens during his death, Wayne? The sun goes dark, you know? And... Um, so so Jesus' death on the cross is the ultimate supernovae, right? The ultimate supernovae, the ultimate death in the universe. Yes, and uh, Dan, uh, it, just a side on that. There was something in the Roman, the Roman records about uh, crucifixions, about Jesus' death. And there was a record that said that there was an eclipse when Jesus was crucified. Yes, I've heard that. But it it was Im- impossible for it to be an eclipse because it was the wrong time of the month. Uh, and there was no way an eclipse could happen at that time of the month. So later there was a historian who wrote about it. And he, now those Roman records didn't survive, but they were referred to by others who had seen them. So we we have some, you know, historical information about the time when Jesus was crucified yeah that that confirms the dark sky mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And it could could not have been an eclipse. It's impossible for it to be an eclipse at that time of the month. The duration of darkness that the Bible describes is not an eclipse either because it, no eclipse has ever lasted for six hours. Yes, that's um, a good point. So it, it was a supernatural event, something akin to um, Joshua 10, you know, that God, yeah, Joshua, through the Lord's mercy and grace, commands the sun to be still. And then Jesus dies and the sun does not give his light. And then when Jesus returns... Um, people will be distressed by the signs in the heavens, Wayne, that the people are going to see the heavens shaken and the sun will grow dark and the moon will turn to blood. And, you know, if you're alive at the time of Jesus's return, the signs in the heavens will precede his, his coming and it will terrify the world. I mean, people are going to be, you know, if it if it happens in the next hundred years or so, people are going to be turning to NASA. What's going on in the universe? Yeah, <laughs> you know, and uh, it, it's going to be scary. I mean, God's going to use signs in the heavens to get our attention, like He did with Tico. Um, right. It, it's not going to be as gentle, if you want to say that. It's going to be uh, quite terrifying. And the Bible describes stars falling from the heavens. Now, what does this mean? We don't exactly know. Could be meteorite showers. Could be um, you know, it could be anything, but the, the heavens are going to be distressed and there will be signs in the heavens just before the return of Jesus. So uh, that's why Isaiah is saying, lift up your eyes on high um, and notice and, and take note of and, and recognize what all of this means. Yeah, we should we should look to the one who is in control of these things. Yeah, I mean, the glory of God, it's wonderful now that we have this time where we can stargaze and, and take in the, the beauty of the universe. Um, but there will come a time when the, the heavens will pass away with a fervent heat. Um, and it's, it's hard for me because I love stargazing to think all of this is going to burn up and go away um, for, to make way for a new heavens and a new earth. Um, but uh, these aren't just scientific oddities, let's, let's be clear, that uh, all of these things that NASA uncovers, the telescopes that we see, these, the, the power of these supernovae, um, the stars themselves, galaxies, all of these things speak of uh, the glory of God. And uh, they are meant, and I think it's it's what God says, Paul says in Romans 1, that God has revealed himself to us through what he has made so that uh, we are all without excuse. And uh, so supernovae certainly are a testament to God's power and wonder. So Wayne, let's get into some of the, 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 the good science that you've discovered about these supernovae. First, what are the basics about supernovae? Well, let's start, about, let's start by talking about nova first. And um, for a long time, scientists didn't know what a nova was. But um, novas happen when you have a binary star system. And at, at the end of a star's life when when it begins to run out of hydrogen to uh, burn into helium it, it does a nuclear fusion to convert hydrogen into helium and when it starts to run out of hydrogen the star starts to change and one of those things that happens depending on how big the star is it can become a white dwarf and where a white dwarf it sort of compresses over time into a very small, dense object. And a white dwarf has run out of hydrogen, but it's very hot and very dense. Mm. 
And um, but so if you have a binary star system and one of them turns into a white dwarf, the white dwarf is the massive one. It's more ma- even though it's smaller, and it tends to pull matter off of the other one if they get close enough. So in a nova, the 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 normal star, if you will, can be or depending on how close it is. Sometimes if it gets close enough. It, matter can be a gas can be pulled off of the the normal star onto the white dwarf and if this gas stream is kind of localized in a certain place it's called a nova and it's kind of limited in a sense compared to a supernova but it's basically a nuclear fusion burst when this hydrogen falls onto the white dwarf Hmm. Okay, and it makes it makes it get much much brighter, millions of times brighter. If the same thing can happen with a white dwarf and a star, in a bigger scale, and maybe there's maybe in this case it's enough gas to kind of just maybe totally envelop the white dwarf. It's a lot more gas, and it it makes a much bigger flare of energy when it has a kind of nuclear fusion runaway effect and it makes the star, but, but in this kind of event, if it's enough, it could actually destroy the right, the white dwarf, the white dwarf can be completely destroyed by the explosion. Um, hmm. That's a, that's a supernova. So that's what's called a type one, a supernova. And those are the, uh, those tend to be super bright as you say, and um, those are used, astronomers use these, and we'll get into the, the super details about them, but astronomers use these type 1A supernovae to measure distances to to galaxies. They are what they call standard candles for a lot of uh, astronomers trying to figure out how far away something is, right? Yes, they can do that because uh, they're kind of predictable in what... Um what what the light and energy is from them. Mm-hmm. And um, another thing about the type 1 supernovas is there's no hydrogen uh, in the yeah. in the gases that come off of it because the hydrogen has already been used up or mm-hmm. blown away or something. So they look at the they look at the light signature of a of a supernovae and there's no hydrogen present they classify this as a type 1a because all the hydrogen in that star has been used up and so it doesn't emit any hydrogen lines you wouldn't see anything in the stellar spectronomy right uh, about hydrogen so that's a type 1a and that that generally tends to be um, lower mass stars like like our sun with a white dwarf involved or something like that and um, the other kinds are are more massive stars right the type twos yes and uh, type two is is where it's what they call a core collapse supernova. But what happens is, at the end of the star's life, gravity becomes very very intense, and it it's uh, it's um, it just compresses to a, a bigger degree, and it may not blow up immediately. The kind of changes that goes through is a little different because. It, 
it compresses in a different way. But so what happens inside there and is kind of a complicated nuclear and atomic physics. The, but it will it compresses and then explodes. Okay. So, but it's it's called a core collapse because the core of the star gets compressed. Yeah, it um, it uh, crunches and that compression uh, creates the energy that uh, that blows outward. It, it the the core can no longer hold up. Also, uh, Dan, in the Type Two, it's, it happens very quickly. Just a few seconds, the the star collapses. Wow. Wow. And, and then it explodes and with a powerful, incredible amount of energy. Yeah. And there's a there's a great deal of unlike type ones, um, hydrogen is abundant in the spectra of these type twos. Um and they have uh they have uh um, um a distinction that, that, that these are I think I think the mass, I think Jim Kaler says that the type twos are of a of a star that would be eight to ten times more massive uh, than our sun, in terms. Yeah, of- I think they say from eight to forty times, if I okay. remember correctly. Okay, and um, that's why type ones are are not as are not as massive. They uh, require the uh, a whole different kind of structure. But it's interesting, fascinating that you can read these light curves from these exploded stars and kind of determine. Uh, the the nature of what's going on there that is absolutely fascinating wayne you you informed me as you were doing your research uh you you ran across some new kinds uh, nova novas <laughs> new novas <laughs> <laughs> different kinds yeah. different kinds what did you find there was one i read about it's called a luminous red nova ooh and i thought that was interesting and they have there's some really beautiful pictures from these um, you know, I was, I like to compare these things to fireworks, Dan. These are, these are God's fireworks. <laughs> yeah. So God does fireworks on a bigger scale, on yes. a really much bigger scale. Yes. Yeah. So th- when we watch fireworks, we see an explosion and we see the light and that often there's these complex patterns of layers of color or, you know, the people have learned how to make fireworks so that there's different elements in there to make different colors. Mm-hmm. And they, they put them in a certain pattern when they construct the fireworks and that makes a certain pattern when it explodes that we, we find really beautiful. Well, something similar goes on with this, I guess with supernova on a bigger scale. Anyway, so I, Luminous red nova is where two normal stars um, merge together. They collide. Mm. And the two stars form a red giant, a single red giant star. And But it, it has an explosion. Uh, you know, they don't call it a supernova. They call it a nova, but... It would it would get bright like a supernova, and it, there's a a shock wave of gas that moves out from this explosion, and then in the center there's this bright red star. Mm. So this makes a really beautiful picture because you have a nebula 
with a really bright red star in the middle. That's beautiful. And we will, uh, if you, uh, in the notes, we'll link, we'll link a couple of these things that you can see. We'll link the pictures so you can check them out. Um, so you, you have that kind of Nova. Uh, what else did you find, Wayne? Well, I want to mention something that's kind of been in the news a little bit. Yeah. So we, we're talking about red giants. Beetlejuice is a real, uh, giant red star, a, a red giant or super giant. It's usually called. Uh, red supergiant star. Let me just say something about the name because people know the name. It's familiar. Maybe, maybe you're familiar with the Michael Keaton movie, Beetlejuice or whatever. Um, Bet El Guse in Arabic means shoulder of the giant or the giant's shoulder. And this is the uh, bright red orange supergiant star in the shoulder of Orion. And uh, you can see the shoulder star uh, after just after dark. Orion is uh, setting in the west as we enter into May. Orion disappears for near the end of May and then comes back in the early morning parts of uh, August. Um, but uh, you can see the shoulder star of Orion, Betelgeuse, after sunset as it gets dark. Um, and you can see visibly with the naked eye, you can look at it and say, oh, that's Betelgeuse. And you can see its distinct orange-reddish hue. Um, so yeah, it, that's easy start you can see. So what's, what, what is going on with Beetlejuice? Well, there's some people that have speculated, and I don't know why they started saying this, but there's people who have said it could go supernova this year in 2022. Really? I but, hadn't heard that. But there's no reason to say that really. I mean, it is, it's in, it's a, a super red giant. And so it's in the kind of latter stages of its life as a star, but it, that doesn't mean it's that imminent. We we can't. Well, there's no way of predicting when a supernova is going to happen. So, if astronomer says that it could supernova soon, that could mean anywhere from this year to a thousand years from now, for all we know. <laughs> right. Uh, right. We have no idea. Well, we know. I think one of the reasons that that they based this, I, I hadn't heard the recent predictions, but I know maybe a, a year or two ago. Betelgeuse was uh, diminished in size significantly that uh, backyard astronomers could see with naked eye telescopes that uh, Betelgeuse had diminished either in brightness or in size. And uh, Hubble has tried to zoom in on Betelgeuse, and it's kind of like an, uh, a fried egg shape. And the outer <laughs> core, it, it, it seems to breathe. It, it, it brightens, and then it uh, it decreases in size. It goes from, you know... Uh, the the diameter 800, 800, uh, 800 million miles in diameter to a billion miles in diameter, depending on the outer shell. This this activity of its of its uh, increasing and and decreasing seems to suggest to people that the star is heaving and breathing. And- yeah, but you gotta keep in mind it's surrounded by a really thick nebula. So, so some of the dimming of it, it could be just there's thicker gas around it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's a lot of speculation about what it's doing. But um, if it would blow up, this would this would definitely be a Type Two supernova. Yes, because it's yeah. there's no it's not a double star as far as we know. It's not a there's no white dwarf hanging around. Um, yeah, it's just a really big one. Just a really big. This would be a core collapse star supernova Type Two if it happened. Um, yeah. So, but that's interesting. Um, I did not know the news about uh, Beetlejuice, but if you want to check out Beetlejuice, and if you want to keep your eye on the sky, uh, it's just above the western horizon um, uh, as we enter into May, and then Orion will disappear for uh, the summer, 
and come back in the early morning parts of late July, early August. But uh, keep your eye on Beetlejuice. Maybe you'll be the first to see a supernova. But speaking of that, let's um, before we get into the other two parts, you you'd found some other interesting, fascinating uh, supernova we'll talk about. But I wanted to, I almost forgot, I wanted to mention um, the, uh, you know, uh, the, the 1054 supernovae that was seen by, uh, you have it in your article, it was seen by people in Japan and China and uh, it believed to be some of the tribes, Native American tribes in the American Southwest, there seemed to indicate uh, on the cave art, although it's hard to tell specifically, but that they saw the supernova. But the, the weird thing about the 1054 supernova was that no one in Europe had seen it. And if they had seen it, the records have been lost. But uh, um, this star, we know it was, um, we know it, it, it existed because we went to the spot in the sky and, and the, uh, what we now call the Crab Nebula is the remnant of this uh, supernova that occurred in 1054. And uh, the Chinese records call it a guest star. Right. (laughs) Kind of like in Hollywood when you watch a TV show, guest starring. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, That's right. Yeah. So this guest star appeared in 1054, and uh, that's in the constellation of Cancer. And you can see this with a telescope, uh, a backyard telescope. Good Heavens is recorded and produced by Watchman Fellowship Incorporated. For more information about our podcast and ministry, including having our staff speak at your church, visit watchman.org. That's watchman.org. Good Heavens.